Welcome to episode 70 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, we are here at 104 Broad Street at our church offices, and I'm sitting here with my uh, dear friend and colleague, uh, Ross Hodges. How are you doing today, Ross? Doing well. Glad to be here. Wonderful. And uh, Gabriel Williams, our uh, third host, is not with us this morning. We uh, aren't really sure where he is. He said something about chasing Hurricane Florence off into the sunset. Okay, okay. Well, he's uh, spending time with Florence, um, and we'll uh, continue on without him this morning. We surely miss him, but uh, uh, we'll have him back soon. And uh, we wanted to talk a little bit uh, this morning about the significance of the church for the Christian life. Uh, We see this uh, emphasis in Scripture, but we don't always see this emphasis in uh, the evangelical world. Uh, there seems to be, Ross, a, a real focus on uh, the self yeah. uh, in the evangelical church. Um, there's this emphasis on uh, really a kind of a consumeristic emphasis. Yes. An, an emphasis on programs, on felt needs, mm-hmm. on uh, what's in it for me, what are you going yeah. to offer me, almost like a you would go looking for a grocery store or a gym, yeah. uh, looking at the various things that it will offer you uh, rather than trying to understand uh, what the church is supposed to be biblically and then finding the one that's most faithful uh, sure. to a, a, a biblical uh, expression of the Christian faith. And so you have this emphasis on individuality mm-hmm. and and putting together one's personal mosaic of spirituality and and the church plays a function of you know providing some support and some encouragement and some entertainment uh and these kinds of things programs for the kids uh but but not really uh an emphasis um on what it means to be a devoted and active member of the local church and an emphasis on growth in community. Yeah, we, we approach the church in American Christianity and probably just in the West in general and evangelicalism, we approach the church through the lens of an individualistic mindset. What can this church do for me, as you're saying, instead of seeing ourselves automatically as Christians, as part of the body of Christ where certain things should be happening and where I should be fed in under the teaching of God's word and shepherded by his under shepherds and in a certain kind of community um, and that that's a non-negotiable we we instead come at it typically as individuals as you said as consumers seeking to tick our particular boxes of felt needs and desires and it's church is seen as an option really right and it's an option so long as my needs are being met then I'm going to choose that option now you've been uh, working with um, we've both been working with a lot of uh, millennials you sure. know uh, here in Charleston lots of young 20-somethings uh, coming in and out because of the various colleges uh, and uh, programs residency programs and such sure and uh We've heard this kind of thing even over the years from those who are meeting with us for the first time after visiting, and they will often ask questions that will reveal this kind of a mindset. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a mindset that's uh, that's fostered by, as you were mentioning in the introduction, just a, a concept of Christianity that it's really focused on the individual first and foremost. 
And while, of course, salvation is an individual thing, the Lord comes to particular people, he redeems particular people, hence particular redemption, um, yet it's within the context of his kingdom, and it's within the context of the church. But what we do is we take that, that yes, I, I realize I've been converted, or I have, I have uh, now become a Christian, and then we, we run with that in our mindset that now it's about me. And it's about my relationship to God, and it's this single sort of line from me to, to Christ. And, and everybody else is sort of just tangential to that. And it's a, mm-hmm. it's a bad way to conceive of, of being in the kingdom of God. Yes, yes. And uh, we just don't see this in Scripture either, no. this kind of, of, of forgetfulness of the, the body of Christ. It's, it's actually quite antithetical to that. You have yeah. a humongous emphasis uh, in the scriptures, and we think particularly of the New Testament church, mm-hmm. um, on uh, this uh, unity in Christ and growing in community. Yes, uh, We are not um, designed, as it were, uh, to be saved and then to be off on our own, patching together our own version of, of of spirituality we are called out of darkness into god's marvelous light and into his kingdom where there mm-hmm. are other citizens with into a family where there are yes. brothers and sisters we are uh living stones being built up in a spiritual temple we yeah. are together mm-hmm. as those stones we're not just sort of you know off in other places yeah. and and i think today there are there are challenges aren't there ross uh with the digital age because oh, certainly yeah you've got now um you know, churches that are encouraging, uh, you know, cyber church yep, and online church, as it were, online church, and not just on rainy days, but but regularly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, there was even a book that came out by George Barna a few years ago called Revolution, where he was challenging the whole concept of church as we understand sure. it from scripture, sure. namely um, where there are uh, officers and where you have the means of grace and you have church membership and that he was challenging all of that and saying, mm-hmm. I think maybe the age for that is done and now the church needs to meet in coffee shops and yeah. and we sort of put it all together ourselves. Yeah, it's, and it's so backwards compared to what we see in the New Testament, isn't it? Because the whole, even the language stock that the New Testament authors are using to talk about the church, they talk about the the brothers and sisters. They you know they they speak of it as a family, and that family is the body of Christ and some of the other imagery. But you know, try doing virtual family, see how well that works out. Yeah. Or virtual marriage or virtual parenting, where you never see, you are never with those people. You are never in community physically with those people who are supposed to be your family. It doesn't work well. Yes, yes. So um, we have been studying, of course, uh, the book of Ephesians in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. Before that, we studied uh, the book of Romans. Mm -hmm. And so here we have these two uh, powerful, uh, influential epistles uh, of Paul and uh, they are both ringing the bell over and over and over on the uh, reality and significance um, and the transformational um, uh, aspects of, of the church. Yes. And Ian Hamilton, in his wonderful commentary from the Lectio Continua series, uh, in chapter 18, he says this, 
about uh, the last section of Ephesians 4, which have a lot of practical examples of, mm-hmm. of ways that we can foster true community mm-hmm. and live in community as believers. He says this, In a series of searchingly practical examples, Paul now illustrates the social, relational features of the God-pleasing life. The new life that believers have have because of their union with Jesus Christ is a radically social, excuse me, is as radically social and relational as it is doctrinal. Mm. Amen. So, so it's got to be both, right? That there are those who are pushing the community thing and the yes. fellowship thing, divorced from doctrine and confessions yes. and, and that, and that that divorces us of course, from uh, the life and truth of Christ. Yes. Because doctrine and theology is the foundation where true fellowship and true community is built. Well, the, the whole point of the New Testament, as you were saying earlier, is, is that you are in community as a Christian, but that is a community that is based around union in Christ. You don't have union in Christ, union with Christ, if you don't have Christ, if you don't have the doctrine that brings you to Christ. Right. So so we're not talking here about some kind of a superficial, let's hang out. Well, that's fine to do. Oh, of course. That's, yeah. that's not the emphasis here uh, today. It's, it's that fellowship which is rooted and grounded in a proper understanding of God and his word and of Christ. And, and, and with that, that uh, grounding, that foundation then, uh, true unity and fellowship is, is cultivated. And, and so the point that he's making here is that there are social and relational features of the God-pleasing life. Now, this is a rebuke uh, to those of us professing believers who would keep other believers at arm length mm-hmm. and see the church simply as a Sunday morning activity yes. to get a little juice for the rest of the week. Yes. Or to make oneself feel better because this is just what we're supposed to do. Right. Yeah, it's it, it at that point coming back to the gym analogy, the church is very much like, you know, say Planet Fitness, where you go in, you do your thing, you have your workout, you don't make eye contact with other people, you don't have conversations. Yeah. You're not there to encourage anyone. You're there to get your workout in so that you can feel better and you can get out. And unfortunately, we end up treating the church like this. Or we we treat the idea of community like that where it's it's as we were saying before, it's divorced from the doctrine, and it's simply about making me feel better. And it's not about Christ, and it's not about the body of Christ, and it's not about the kingdom of God. It's about me. Or meeting some felt need. Yes. Whatever that may be. And our lives, of course, shouldn't be um, determined by our felt needs. They should be determined by God's word. Amen. Um, and, and so Romans uh, is a, a wonderful example of, of here is Paul for 11 chapters uh, teaching us what it means um, to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, communicating to us that uh, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Um, uh, no one seeks after God, no, not one. We are all guilty um, before the, uh, the holiness of God. We are all under God's judgment, uh, by nature, children of wrath. Um, and uh, there's this, this, in chapters 1 through 3, this universal condemnation of both Jews and Gentiles. So we're all guilty. But then 
in, in the middle section of chapter 3, he gives this wonderful uh, explication of justification, that by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we are no longer condemned, we are no longer under God's uh, wrath and judgment, but we've been set free in Christ, forgiven of all of our sins and Christ's righteousness being imputed to us, our sins imputed to him on the cross, and now we stand before God justified. And so Paul expounds upon that uh, through chapter 5, and then we get to chapter 6 through 8, and he deals with the doctrine of sanctification and uh, our growth in Christ, that we have been set free unto holiness. We have been uh, delivered uh, for the sake of godliness and growing in Christ. Yes and uh, becoming who we are, as it were. And then chapters 9 through 11, of course, dealing with uh, doctrines uh, pertaining to election, predestination, Paul's um, answering questions uh, from his own countrymen about God's promise is true. If so many in Israel are denying uh, the faith and the promises of God, and of course he says, yes, they're true. Uh, God is true. Let every man be found a liar. Um, and then in chapter 12, it's, there's this beautiful turn with chapters 12 through 16 of Romans where you come to a very practical kind of, all right, chapters 1 through 11, this is what God has done. This is who you are in him. Now, chapters 12 to 16, now this is how you ought to live. Mm. It's answering the question, how then shall we live? And so Paul says, of course, uh, uh, verses that we all know so well, I appeal to you, therefore... Therefore, based on everything that I've said up to this point, Paul is saying, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, the next verses, if modern broad evangelicals were to write them, so much of it, it would seem, would be focused on... um, uh, personal spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, social justice, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing good, uh, all of these things that, you know, in and of themselves aren't aren't bad, but what does sure. he focus on? He focuses on the church. The body of Christ. Right away, in verse 3 of Romans 12, he says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then, of course, you have this kind of, in the rest of the chapter, this shotgun approach of this is the way you are called to live. Let love be genuine. Abhor Mm -hmm. what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Mm. And over and over and over again, we have all of these exhortations coming to the people of God who are living in the context of dynamic spiritual community. Yes. Yeah, and I think you can infer from this that these exhortations would not be necessary if this were easy. And it's not easy because when God puts you in community, and it's not just a niche of your own choosing and preference, but when you're in the church with other sinners and you're surrounded by people that are um, like you growing in Christ and have not arrived yet, well, then there's going to be a lot of stepping on toes and there's going to be a lot of people that aren't particularly easy to love and people where you you have to bear with them and you have to 
um, love them with a brotherly affection and not a worldly kind of affection and you know those sorts of things and it's it's a reminder that while in any given church you know there there will be lots of very lovely people who encourage you and who are um, easy to be around relatively speaking and and who uh, are helping you along and and growth uh, with your uh, walk with God and your sanctification there will be plenty of others who are not that and that that's not an accident and that's not a reason to move on from a church mm-hmm. that's a, a reason to take the the exhortations of scripture seriously and say okay this is part of my calling as a christian is to love these people and to forbear and to be an encouragement and and, and all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things and it, just a reminder that um, an easy community to be with is not the goal necessarily yes. um, it, it's it's to be with god's people and and that's going to come with certain challenges that need certain exhortations like Paul is giving us here. Absolutely. Um, and and don't the sacraments play into this? Oh, you know, we've, absolutely. We've talked so much about this, how even within our own uh, denomination, you'll have a kind of reductionistic uh, approach to the sacraments because the sacraments in the history of the church have divided yes. the church, yeah. right? The, the very things that are meant to bring us together have have divided us because there have been so many erroneous approaches to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? Well, we often make less of them so as to not bring any division within the church, but actually we're shooting ourselves in the foot as it were because Christ gave these to the church yes. for our sanctification. And as Reformed Presbyterians, we have a confession and a wonderful heritage that that helps us to understand what the Bible teaches about the sacraments to reinforce the very things we're talking about here in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Baptism. We have one baptism which focuses on the promises of God fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ Amen. and his life, death, and resurrection. And so that baptism is constantly reinforcing the gospel in our lives as a community. Yes. Every time we see a child or a new convert uh, baptized in the context of our worship services, we are all reminded that salvation is by grace, yes. through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises. Mm. Uh, and, and what does that do to, in a community when you know, when you're reminded over and over again that your baptism is... is, is that which uh, represents the cleansing blood of Christ, nothing that you have done. Yeah, amen. And it's it's a it's the common denominator, therefore, for all of you. So that regardless of your background, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your how personality, you your how you educate your kids, your ethnicity, it doesn't matter. It, you, you are one in Christ. You have one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism. Yes. And the same Christ who spilled his blood for you to save you is the one who saved those people around you. Yes, and so really a focus, whether in a Presbyterian church or a Baptist church or an Anglican church, if the focus of baptism is on one's profession of faith, if the focus of baptism is on our work and our promises rather than on God's work and His promises, yes, then you can see how this could actually cultivate a kind of over-personalized individualistic spirituality and then also have you always doubting and wondering about everybody around you which can cause a a real self-righteous 
attitude as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where, you know, we, uh, we lovingly believe and humbly believe that there is um, a great merit to um, even the, the emphases that we place on baptism as paedo-baptists, because that here we are, as you're saying, it's, it's not primarily about the person's response. Uh, it's, it's about the promises of God. And it's, it's about that gospel that brings us together, that unites us in Jesus. And, and as we see in our liturgy with uh, infant baptisms, there is a, a point in the service where the congregation takes a vow to help the parents raise this child who's being baptized and being brought into the congregation visibly. So covenantal emphasis. Yes, there's this covenantal and therefore communal emphasis that, yes, we are all in this together. We are all here to raise this child in the Lord as the body of Christ and to assist the parents in the, the nurture, uh, the Christian nurture of this, uh, of this child who, yes, is an individual, but is part as an, as an individual, is part of this body. Yes. And we're looking at it communally. We're looking at it covenantally. We're looking at it with the emphasis on what Christ has done for us as a body that brings us together. Yes, and then, of course, we have the Lord's Supper. Yes. Uh, where we see, once again, this emphasis on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are called to examine ourselves. Yes, we are called to repent and turn from sin. But the emphasis... Uh, the focus, the hallmark of the table is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And so uh, when we come to the table, we come not just to have communion with God, but to have communion with one another yes. in Christ. And so there's that reinforcing of the importance of community. Some, uh, Ross, over the years have wondered about our emphasis on needing to be a baptized member mm-hmm. of a local or Bible-believing Bible church sure. in good standing, and they say they scratch their heads and say, "Why would you make me do this? I'm a Christian." Uh, you know, some have even said that to us who haven't been a member of a church for years. Mm-hmm. And so, what we have to do is to, to to help them to understand that the Lord's Supper is not detached from the oversight and shepherding care of a local church. The Lord's table isn't just for anyone to come off the street and take. It's not a it's not a converting ordinance, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that which simply teaches us about the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's for the people of God uh, who have expressed faith and confessed their faith and, uh, and are coming as baptized, yes. mem- confessing members of a local Bible-believing church. And so that what's being reinforced when you come to the table? Um, we need to forgive one another mm-hmm. as God in Christ has forgiven us. Amen. At Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 how could we come to the table with grudges and, and unforgiveness in our heart and then receive the forgiveness of Christ for thousands more <laughs> sins than anybody's ever committed against us? Amen. Yeah, it, it reinforces once again, he, here I am as a, uh, yes, I'm an individual, but I'm part of this kingdom of God. I've been forgiven and made right with God, just like all of these other people around me who God has providentially brought me together with to make me a member of this family, a member of this body, and I am not more important than they are. I, it is, this is not primarily the me show. This is about the body of Christ, and, and as we partake, that unity is actually being strengthened in a real, true, if not mysterious, but vital way. Our unity with Christ and our unity with one another is being strengthened through that means of grace. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul again gives this uh, wonderful uh, analogy 
uh, for the Christian life that those who are in Christ are part of a body, the body of Christ, Christ being the head, we being the members. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Uh, for the body does not consist of one member, uh, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Amen. Over and over again, we're seeing the beautiful um, uh, reality um, of, of single people being a part of a whole. So yes. you're not destroying the individuality of the believer, and you're also not destroying the oneness of all believers in Christ. You yes. have both of them there, and they're both being emphasized. The issue, I think, in our modern day is that you see so much emphasis on yeah. the yeah. individualism uh, and the, the individualistic salvation of, of the, uh, the believer to the neglect of yeah. a focus on the body of Christ and the coming under the authority and over shepherding oversight of of the church. Yeah, and it's really that this is this whole theme is a continuation of what we see from the very beginning. God says it's not good for man to be alone. Now he's speaking in the context of creating woman and creating the sure. family and marriage, but that family then, as we see the scriptures develop, that grows into what, yes, initially is a, um, a biological type of family, an ethnic type of family with Abraham and his seed. But as we know from the scriptures as they develop, that was, that was intended to be, as it were, a foreshadowing of the, the greater family that comes from the four corners of the earth that is not immediately biologically related. And, and we, it is not good for man to be alone to this day. And that, that obviously doesn't mean just an individual person. That means families. It's not good... My family should not be detached from the greater family of the kingdom of God. Uh, my local church family should not be detached from the greater family of the kingdom of God. We, mm -hmm. It's this intentional connectedness that, we, that God has given us as a body of Christ where we as individuals are valuable to the whole, but we need the whole and we need the other individuals to, to form. It, it, we're, we're like a puzzle. We're a piece of a puzzle, and with any one piece is missing, well, the body, the, you know, the, the human body is the better example that scriptures use. And Paul's reinforcing here that we need each other. Absolutely. We need each other. I need the members of Christ Church Presbyterian. My family needs the members of Christ Church Presbyterian, and all of the uh, unique, distinctive yeah. spiritual gifts that they have, we need them, and they need, they need us. We all need each other. Yes. In this dynamic context, uh, whereby we are called to grow and to flourish, um, we are ne we were never meant to do the Christian life on our own. Now, with all that being said, Ross, um, let's talk for a minute about all the reasons why people don't get on board with this. Um, one of the obvious ones would just be ignorance of the scriptures. Sure. I mean, all over the place. If you were to, you know, highlight every verse that reinforces 
what we're talking about right now, you, most yeah. of the New Testament would be highlighted sure. in terms sure. of the importance of the church and the uh, foundational nature of the church for the, for the life of the Christian. Yes. But what are some other things? Well, I think the fact that it doesn't feel true often. This, there, here's a truth that we're articulating that you need the body of Christ and the body of Christ needs you in a sense. But it doesn't feel true. It feels better, at least in the short term, in our ignorance. It feels better to, to do things that are easier, that are that are on our own, that um, that that don't things that perhaps feel like they have a more immediate payoff. Mm-hmm. So I, I may be involved in uh, you know a, a small group that's disconnected from any particular church, and I'm not knocking that. That could be fine, uh, you know. Uh, but if I make that the ultimate of my sort of Christian interaction, that's going to feel really good at the time, and I'm not going to feel the need to be actually vitally connected to a church and to the other members and the, the shepherding oversight of the elders and that sort of thing. And so I think... Are you saying that we shouldn't just go with what feels right, Ross? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were a millennial. Uh, well, I, yeah... <laughs> I'm sort of like the mole inside the millennials, you know. <laughs> How could something be wrong if it feels, feels so, so right? Feels so right. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we need to talk a little more, John. Uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, I think we, but we are a generation, the millennials, but others, it's not just millennials. We can't just pick on millennials here. That people, if it doesn't feel real, if it doesn't feel necessary, we often don't do it. I mean, how many of us... Uh, are going to get to the gym more often when we feel the weight that we're carrying because we haven't been exercising versus when just knowing it's good or I'm sure there's myriad examples we could give um, but the the church often doesn't feel necessary and I think that's it's a very deceptive thing because we replace what the church should be with all sorts of counterfeits that feel good in the the short term sort of like eating junk food um, but that have devastating long-term effects so several years ago, um, a family uh, came to us, and they were uh, struggling with our church. And so an elder and, uh, and I went over to their house one night to meet with them. We met for three hours. And the first two hours and 55 minutes of our meeting, we were trying to get to the bottom of why, particularly the wife, was having such a problem with, with Grace Presbyterian Church, where I used to pastor. And um, there, initially they said, well, it's the worship, you know, it's the worship. We said, well, what, what is it about the worship? And we began walking through the liturgy and talking about all that we do from call to worship to benediction, the, the scriptural uh, emphasis, uh, the fact that it's regulated by scripture, that it's saturated with scripture, that we, there's a gospel logic to the liturgy. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about my preaching and walked through that and uh, it just seemed like one thing after another she wasn't having a hard time and then we got to the the music and the hymns and and there was some some obviously some discontent with that and so we began looking at some of the hymns we had sung recently and uh, psalms of course which are from the scriptures yeah. and and um, and then there you know there was kind of an understanding yeah well it can't really be that and um, and what it came down to Ross is that she had a hard time with the accompaniment to the songs and hymns and psalms that we were singing, mm. which we used piano and uh, flutes and violins and things like that. But she was looking for a contemporary Christian radio station experience. Yeah. 
And so it, it wasn't the liturgy, it wasn't the people, it wasn't the, the, the content of the liturgy, it wasn't the preaching, it wasn't the leadership. It was that the instruments did not make her feel yes. like she felt when she listened to the contemporary Christian praise bands on the radio. And so the reason I tell this story is because I think a lot of young Christians think this way. Mm-hmm. How they go into a church and they think, how did I feel? What did it make me feel like during the service? Rather than thinking, was this true? Was this right? Was was the transcendence of God being clearly communicated? Was I being brought into a sacred sphere rather than, you know, I just didn't get a good vibe, right? Without any definition. So I think that's that's a an important. Thing you were saying earlier about you know the, the the feelings aren't what lead us it should be truth um another thing i think is the bad experiences some christians have yeah, for, absolutely in churches and yeah. and rightly so maybe a, an abusive pastor mm-hmm. uh maybe they're in a church that was run by a family mm-hmm. that was just you know tyrannical yeah. and uh, and or maybe they were in a church that was focused on some issue rather than on the gospel like yeah. like homeschooling or politics or politics yeah. you know god in america kind of stuff and and so rightly so you know people have been discouraged yeah. uh, in certain local church contexts and so rather than go look for a solid church they they say oh, i'm not going to do this yeah, anymore so we give up altogether said so jc ryle I, I bring this example up often in conversation, but J.C. Ryle, the, the 19th century uh, Anglican, uh, magnificent writer and commentator, he, he, when people are speaking of being discouraged with Christianity in the church, I think it's in that context and saying, you know, well, let's just give up on it. He says, well, you don't give up on money just because you've come across some counterfeit. You know, you don't stop using money because yes. there is some bad out there. And, and that would certainly be our encouragement for people who have had those ex- those very real experiences in yeah. churches where yeah. they've been taken advantage of, they've had poor leadership, they've had bad teaching that's been destructive to their lives. Yeah. Don't give up on the the real because you've had some, some counterfeit and, yeah. um, and come to a place where you will receive the gospel and you will receive biblical leadership. So I, I think all of those things are the case. And, and in our day, something you and I have talked about quite a bit is, is the scandal associated with the church. And there's yes. a lot of scandal, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church or the Evangelical Church or the Reformed Church. Yes. There have been, uh, there's been a great amount of scandal mm. and people um, have been burned by those whom they loved and respected. Yeah. They realize they've been living double lives or falling yeah. into sin. Yeah, and it's, and it's terrible. And it's there needs horrendous. to be church discipline Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, let's use another analogy. There have been scandals in professional athletics as well, but it doesn't seem to sour uh, the hearts of, of so many of the fans that just sure. keep, keep going and keep cheering. Sure. And, um, so, so yes, there should be church discipline and all of that, but even if there's not, go find a church, um, an expression of biblical Christianity. Yeah, go find that a true faithful. church. Yes, yeah. a true church. Not and, everybody that claims to be a church is a true church by yeah. the Bible standards. Absolutely, and the Reformers asked that question. Yeah. And, uh, of course responded with the answer that a true church is a church that is faithful to preach the whole counsel of God and the gospel 
that administers rightly the sacraments and mm-hmm. that has church discipline or shepherding order. and oversight. Yeah, yeah, shepherding and oversight and order in the, in the life of the church. So this is such an important uh, topic, and um, we hope that all of our uh, listeners will respond to this. And, and before we go, I think it's important to, to, to reflect upon, well, now what? What if there's someone listening to this, Ross, and they're saying, okay, I, 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 I hear what y'all are saying, and I, I think the Bible does emphasize this, and I think I've been off base in neglecting uh, the visible church, being a, 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 an active member of a local church. Now, uh, what do I do if either I'm not in a local church or I'm a, I'm a member of a church, but I'm not really that involved? Yeah, well, if the second option, if the second case is what's going on, that you're, you're a member of a church but you're not involved, you know, get involved. Repent of those areas that are sinful in your heart that have kept you from that and seek to be involved. Take, take action. Be proactive. Seek Go, first the kingdom of God. Yes. Absolutely. And and that principle, seek first the kingdom, I would go to the other example. Let's say there's somebody who's not in, in a, they aren't in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church um, or in any church. Uh, you need to go find a church. And if there's not a good one in your area, you need to consider moving um, seriously. And the, yeah. the, you have one life. You have one life, and you would move if you needed a job to feed your family. Or if you got a raise. Or if you, yeah, or if you got a raise. But but just take somebody who goes gets who, who loses their job and there's not another one to be had in their city. They're going to move to another city yeah. because they have to feed their family. But yeah. what about spiritually? Yeah, you have to feed your family spiritually. And if you're in a place where you cannot feed your family spiritually because there is not the faithful preaching of the word, you need to go somewhere else where you sure. can do that. You need to move to Charleston. You need to exactly <laughs> come on over. Shameless yeah. plug. It's a pretty nice place to live. So <laughs> yes. Um, yes. That, that that's a. That's a great point, and and on that uh, application to a, a church member who's not really involved in their church, if it's a good church, yeah, is to yeah, be intentional. Um, the questions I would ask is are why would you not be why would you not come to Sunday school? Mm-hmm. Uh, why would you not go to the prayer meeting? Why would you not go to morning and evening worship? Mm-hmm. The very day that God himself has set apart for his people to grow and to fellowship um, is too often neglected by God's people. And they wonder why they're struggling. They wonder why they're anxious. They wonder why they don't feel comforted in the Lord. And it's because they give the Lord an hour or 90 minutes a week of focus rather than give him the the, the whole day. Mm -hmm. And, And so... Um, my encouragement would be that if you are a, a member of a local church, to be all in, Amen. active and involved. Your kids will recognize that you're all in. Your kids will also recognize when you're not all in. Yeah. And uh, this is not legalism speaking here. This is the scriptures that call God's people to seek first the kingdom of God and to be all in in the life of the church, to be an active member of the body of Christ, using your gifts, committed to being together. How important is it, Ross, just to be together as God's people? And that's what we have on the Lord's Day. Amen. And then we have ministries throughout the week. You have opportunities to have spontaneous fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, to be actively encouraging one another. Get involved in people's lives and don't hold them at arm's length. Is there anything more important than this? Uh, There's not. 
for those who aren't involved in the good church, get involved. Go join a solid church. Put yourself under the authority of that church so that you can grow and uh, and be obedient to the scriptures. Amen. Um, all in response to the the wonderful grace of God in Jesus Christ. Well, this has been a, a good discussion. Uh, we could talk all day uh, about this, but <laughs> we hope that you've been encouraged uh, and uh, that you will respond by grace uh, through faith uh, to uh, God's word on this topic. Uh, well, we hope to talk to you next time on Between the Times. <laughs>